Shut up and sit down. everyone um god i am honestly i'm worried i'm never going to get used to my new headset because it's um because it's covering both ears i i, I don't know I, I feel weird like i'm in a box so um anyway i hope i sound okay uh uh tonight julie and i are going to talk about um fandom and rider relationships because we were talking earlier about um uh beta readers so we're going to do that, and um, I, I would also like to say at this point that um, I I downloaded that, that silly-ass cross-stitch app, and I've been cross-stitching on my phone for, like, the last two hours, and Julie James is to blame. There's no credit involved in this. None. None. Are you there? Are you hiding? Click, click, click. I think she's muted. Or am I muted? Yeah, I'm not I muted. muted. <laughs> I will take the blame. I will take the blame for the time waster. <laughs> it's very fun, though. But like I said earlier, it did convince me that I would never want to actually do it in reality. Real doing cross stitch for real is um is a very frustrating endeavor many times. <laughs> like how much can you do before you want to murder somebody? Because making a mistake on the app, you just click a button and you just undo it. I wouldn't want to tear a stitch out. It, it's really difficult to undo a problem if you don't spot it right away. I've had to rip out whole rows. It's like ugh. So like I said, I would rather rip out a row and redo it than have to place a single stitch in a large area where there's only one of that color. No, no, no. <laughs> so we were I, talking about um, beta relationships, and I said something, and I said I ought to do a podcast and call it You Don't Need a Beta. <laughs> <laughs> As fandom cringes and goes, what? What? Oh my god, what? But we were talking actually you need about spell checker. <laughs> you, yeah, you, you need, need spell spell checker. Check. Um, uh, we were talking about rough and um, posting uh, rough works and um, uh, a couple. How long has it been? Um, it's been a few years. There was a person who got really, really upset with me because I wouldn't let her offer critique on rough trade. And we've talked before about people who are in um, fandom whose only contribution is so-called constructive criticism, which I think, frankly, does not exist. Criticism, 99% of the time, criticism is never constructive. You can give constructive feedback, but not criticism. That's just my personal opinion. 
Um, but uh, she got really bent with me and sent me a whole bunch of emails and got super hostile. So I, um, I, I banned her IP from the site so she couldn't read. And then she got even more bent because she was super attached to this one particular story. Um, and she didn't get to read to the author posted on their website months later. Um, but I didn't give no, I had no fucks to give. Oh. I never have. That, that poor little blossom. <sighs> I know. Bless her heart. She's still banned. I wonder if she got around it yet. I hope not. We anyway, um, we won't tell her how. I was uh, I was talking to Julie about that. Uh, we were actually in the Bitch Squad talking about that and um, talking about um, uh, having um, better relationships. And I, you know, not all betas are created equal. And sometimes having someone who is just a reader be your beta is more detrimental to you as a writer than not having a beta at all. You're better off by yourself. That's just my personal opinion. It's, we don't talk about the alpha relationship as well, which I find also, honestly, I find an alpha reader relationship a lot more rewarding as um, a participant on either side of the fence. I much prefer to alpha read than I do beta read. Um, and I get I, more out of an alpha read than I do a beta read <laughs> as a writer. <clears throat> Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. Go ahead. No, I just, I, I finally got my headset on, so I am. Um, oh, okay. Um, I was, I was, I was, I was on speakerphone when the show first started, but because I, the only thing I oh. use the headset for is for the podcast and I couldn't find it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I think, I think a beta relationship with a reader can work if the boundaries are super clear. That, like they're only looking for typos. They are providing no content feedback. Um, but you know, it also depends upon some people. Depends. I think it depends on how the person. Are there people who are technical writers who are exceptional beta readers? Um, and they might consider themselves more a writer. I mean, a reader than a writer because they aren't creative writers, but they still have, I think, that kind of writing mindset. Actually. Hmm. Some technical writers can be a little bit harsh <laughs> in their beta product and their beta style. It can be very harsh beta readers. Um, so you have to kind of, if that's not working for you, um, try carefully. Yeah, be careful about having somebody as a technical writer. But um, there's, a, see, there's a lot of different things people can do in beta. And not everybody's suited to every aspect of the beta process. Um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily want somebody who didn't understand the fundamentals of writing to give me feedback on things like continuity and pace, and um, unless it's a consistency thing, continuity in terms of consistency, or but um, GMC, GMC, that kind of thing. But if they're just looking for typos, you know, um, 
that can really work. And I think it's just really important to um, set those boundaries. Like I, there's a beta reader who offered, she's certainly quite good. Um, she's a reputation for being a very thorough beta. Uh, and I told her that, you know, she had offered to beta um, a big bang story for me. And I said, that, you know, she said, you know, this, this is what I do. And I told her, well, I really only wanted her to do these two things. And um, she said, no. She said, I, I, I can, it's either all or nothing. I was like, then nothing. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Because I'd have to know someone really well to accept plot feedback from them. It's very intrusive, the idea that she yeah. just gets to go all in. Mm-hmm. Because I said I wanted continuity error, continuity, continuity or consistency errors, um, which includes plot holes. Plot holes are a continuity error, um, and um, typos. That was all I was interested in. And um, she said no. That if she couldn't provide plot and characterization feedback and um, that kind of thing. Um, that she wasn't interested. And I said, then, then thank you for offering, but I'll find somebody else. If I know, I know what I do and don't do well with betas with. Um, and by the time I get to beta, I'm not interested in doing big cuts to my stories. And I know some betas who beta like that will be like, you don't need this scene. You don't need that. You don't need this. You need to add more of this. You need to add more of that. And, it's just I do that in the alpha stage, and that's one of the reasons why I'm very careful about who I beta read with. I um, let I allow very few people into my process, um, because the wrong voice in your process can really fuck you up. Those For those of you who don't know what GMC means, it means goals, motivation, and conflict. These are um, fundamentals in your story. Your character goals, your character motivations, the conflicts that they deal with, these are all, this is all part of your um, your writer toolkit, uh, basically. Um, but I don't allow many people into my process because I don't rest people in my process. I have been writing for a very long time. Um, I know where my weaknesses are. I know where my strengths are. Um, I know where I need to learn and grow. And so I cultivate relationships with other writers um, that will further me in that process as a writer. And that might sound a little cold, but I don't mean it that way. I mean, you know, I don't, like, go looking for a writer who specifically writes really, really, really good action scenes so I can learn from them. That's not what I mean. I mean, when I invite somebody else into my process, it's because I know they can give me something that I'm missing. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, you have, yeah, you have relationships with a lot of writers. You've done a lot of different kinds of writing groups. You've got your group you do in person. You've got... Um, people you've mentored over the years, you've got rough trade. So there's a lot of writers you have some level of relationship with, but you know, I, I, I hear, I hear the distinction very clearly. It's who you let into your processes, people who can help you grow, but also I would imagine people who you are somewhat compatible with stylistically because, um, yeah. And people who inspire me. Yeah. 
I can't let some people too close to my process, even if I like their writing, um, because um, we're just too different. So, you know, I used to write with somebody who was very rigid about, like every, every writer can be rigid about certain things in their process, as they should be. If some things are the way you need it to, need to be to work, you, you know, if you've, if you've made that assessment, you don't need to bend. Um, but she was very rigid about other people being the way she was. And like she didn't want to like plot with people. Yeah, she was. She didn't want to like sit down and like work on. She couldn't like dynamically work on a story outline and stuff like that. She wanted to be very rigid about plot development. She had a, she had a method that she had learned in college, and that's the way she wanted it done. For you, <laughs> if she was going to help you, um, it's like. But yeah, but that doesn't work for me. Um, and so she, I felt a little bit like sometimes I, I, you know, see her working with younger writers, and um, I felt sometimes like she was bullying them into her process, and um, I don't know, I found it really off-putting. So you know, as much as I thought that she had some really good things to teach me about, could teach me about plot development, um, her process was too rigid for me, and she was she was too intrusive with her process. So. Um, well, I always make sure I'm talking about my own process that I tell people that you need to find your own process. You need to find what works for you. Um, if scene maps works for you, then just scene map the shit out of your stuff. Just go in and do it if that works for you. Um, if if plotting on note cards works for you, take your ass to the dollar store and buy 300 of them. Okay, because if that's what works for you, that's what works for you. Um, the important part is is preparing yourself to write. Um, no matter what that process is, that is yours, and you need to tailor it to yourself. Because there's there's no boilerplate that will work for everybody. Right. Just like there's no there's no beta style that will work for everybody there's no beta there's not no cut and fit you know no um no cookie cutter beta relationship um you know the more i the more i know somebody and the more i've worked with them the more i accept you know feedback from them um i guess somebody tells me this scene i don't really understand what's going on this isn't really working out i'll i'll have that conversation with somebody but somebody that i don't know well i'm really reluctant because i don't know I don't know what their experience is. I don't know, you know, why, where this opinion comes from. I don't know if we have similar um, sensibility about craft, that we see character the same way. Um, and you also develop a, a shorthand language. Um, uh, all, all peer groups do that. We create a language of our own um, a method of talking and, and having discussions that um, can seem kind of foreign to somebody not in the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the more comfortable you are with somebody, the more familiar you are with their process, the, the easier it is to ask, like, dude, are you smoking crack? Because <laughs> I don't even know what you've done here. <laughs> Or, you know, just stick a link into Wikipedia in the comment field and move on. <laughs> Lady Holder, I'm talking about you. <laughs> She's so hilarious. She's so funny. She'll be like, nope, and then give me a link. And I'll be like, oh, damn it. 
she's right. She was right. She's always right. Or, you know, there was that one time she she inserted a YouTube video because she wasn't even playing. Um. <laughs> but that's Friends, the thing. I, like, I think it was, there was, there was one time in a beta for you that I counted how many times in a scene you would change point of view. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just put a comment yeah. in. I'm like, okay, so we're in this scene and you've changed point of view. Uh, I said, uh, you changed point of view here and here and here and here. How many times are you going to change point of view in the scene? Was this intentional? <laughs> <laughs> Did you mean to head hot Nora Roberts? <laughs> Actually, I might even at some point I would probably say to you, are you trying to be Nora? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> Maybe I am. Maybe I'm going to dedicate this whole fucking story to Nora Roberts. But no, I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, so, but when you are familiar with somebody, you can ask that kind of question and like, um, or even be like, dude, are are you sure you have the right pairing on this fic? Because the sexual tension is killing me. <laughs> yeah, you can do that. You can do that. That's true. That's true. Once you get to know somebody, but you can if- have that conversation. If the relationship is new and you, you know, were snarky in your comment or just put a link in there or asked them if they were smoking crack, did you mean to do this? Is this what you intended? <laughs> Are you sure? You'll get cussed out. Yeah. Because here's the thing. I could take feedback from anybody in the bit squad but there are some things, if somebody else said it to me, I would cuss you out. <laughs> like, what? Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you hard. <laughs> In the eye. And it, it's because they haven't been invited into that. It's like somebody, you know, it's like somebody coming in, a stranger coming in and eating your pancakes, right? I mean, it's like your friend walks in the door and sits down and eats, has breakfast with you and eats the pancakes you've just made. You don't think twice about it, but some person you don't know walks in and eats your pancakes. It's like, excuse me, what the fuck are you doing? It's really intrusive and, and probably criminal. Um, and either way, those <laughs> pancakes were eaten. But the point is, is that one person was invited and the other person was not. <laughs> And depending on what kind of pancakes it is, it might be a fight. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Get your hands off my blueberry pancakes, motherfucker. Right? I'm just saying. Now, when I beta, the funny thing is, I used to I used to beta a lot, a lot. I mean, I still beta some. I don't beta as much as I used to. Um, but I used to have like a a stack of betas waiting uh, all the time. And um, I kind of, I think, I think just, you know, as just kind of my own evolution as a beta reader and stuff. I, I, I had, you know, I'm always willing to have that conversation. Not always willing. I always have that conversation with somebody I beta for. I was like, what do you want me to do? Um, but I lost, I kind of lost interest in policing people's grammar. Um, and so I started developing more interest in doing the alpha side of things. Um, but even when I alpha, I can't turn off that grammar side of things. So what I do is I kind of provide them a summary, like, you know, your commas are a hot mess or, you know, um, you're struggling with tense or you're you're not saying, you know, you're struggling with point of view a little bit or your head hopping and that kind of thing. Um, 
but I'm more interested in working on craft than I am, you know, putting people's commas in. Um, so, you know, I've stopped doing most betaing. Um, and it's not, not I, mean, I feel like some people I'd beta for whenever they need to, but uh, it's just kind of, that's kind of that evolution. And I find the thing is, though, is people say they want that alpha kind of relationship, and they don't. But they don't. They don't actually want no. it. And the that is a thing. I mean, and it's a big old waste of my my time, uh, you know. Um, if somebody says they want alpha feedback and, and they want help with plot development or character development or whatever, and then um, and then they don't and then they just don't listen to it wholesale. They just disregard it completely. And and they don't have to take my opinion. But if if the issue is that they come to me and like say that I'm not sure this makes sense. And I'm right, you're right, it doesn't make sense, and here's why. And we go through hours and hours and hours and hours of back and forth and trying to sort out and find an, an alternate way to accomplish what they want to accomplish. And then they do the thing that they wrote me about and said that didn't make sense. But they knew ahead of time it didn't make sense. That's just a big old waste of my time. Um, huge, no, enormous huge. waste of your time. Yeah, because I mean, and and that did happen. That's not. I mean, that 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 I'm not making that example up. Um, and the thing is, because sometimes people are enamored of an idea that doesn't work, and but they're enamored of it in the form that it's in, and fixing it um, isn't. I mean, they're actually interested, even though they say they are, um, and it's like. And, and the thing is, they kind of go, well, you know, I, I was really interested in this idea, but in, in this other form, I, I just don't find it very interesting. And so I'm going to so go do something else. It's like, okay. Um, but then they turn around and write the original thing with this big old glaring problem. And I just kind of go, well, I'm, I'm not doing that with you again. Um, and it's not a case of – and this truly is not a thing about taking my advice. This is a case of a writer who knew they had a problem. They said, can you help me? I identified the exact thing they were worried about. Um, we found – we worked out many alternate solutions to try to find something she was happy with. Then she got – I got she was moody about the thing. She didn't like any idea as well as that original idea that was basically a big – the whole universe was – the world building was a plot hole. It didn't make – there was no <laughs> – no continuity Sorry. about it, and when your world building itself is an inherent plot hole, it's like, no, your your whole setup is 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 wrong. It doesn't work. So, and then she turned around and wrote the thing that didn't work, um, and then bitched about the fact that she kept getting feedback about how her idea had plot holes in it. Well, yeah. really? So yeah, oh yeah, yeah. You there literally brought about, that shit on yourself. Yeah, she really did. Um, and I don't think that people should be bitching at her, but on the other hand, she knew that these problems existed before she posted it. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what I don't say. I mean, sometimes you know there's a problem and you just decide see, to let it See, if I go. had been her, I'd have put it in my author's note. Look, I realize this is a problem, but I don't care. I don't want to hear your mm-hmm. opinion about it. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but I, is there I mean, a picture me, of, I, of Kira Sedgwick and move on. There you go. I don't want to burn time with somebody who isn't. It's not constructive, and it's not about 
it's not about shaping someone to my opinion. It's about helping them grow. And if they not only didn't grow, but in my opinion, took steps backward, um, and the, the step backward was they realized there was a problem, sought help, and then went backward to denial land. I'm going to ignore the problem and write the story anyway. This was not a written story. This was sort of alphaing their plot outline. Um, I just can't deal with people to going backward. That just, that's too frustrating for me. Um, so, but, you know, the, the whole beta thing, um, I don't, I, for beta reading, beta reading a finished thing, I might sometimes do for plot consistency, that kind of thing. But there's like maybe like three people that I do comma and grammar for because it's just, it's just not where my head is and what I'm interested in doing. And honestly, honest, this this is the honest truth, folks. Is that between if you take a, have a grammar checker, um, most people for most people, if you use words grammar checker or Grammarly or some of the online tools, a spell check, and remove all your commas, I kid you not, most people are better off with no commas than the commas they have. You'll be better off than ninety percent of fan fiction. So. Um, do you need a beta? No, just do that shit. Take all your commas out. <laughs> I tell people that over and over and over again. You're better off with no commas than your commas. They don't like to hear that, but it's the truth. I love a compound sentence, so I need commas. You do, but Grammarly is exceptional at spotting compound sentences. It's the one thing it does it very, is. very well. It is. It spots compound it's sentences like nobody's business. And if you can take all your commas out, um, not use them, but Grammarly spots your compound sentences, and then use a comma type called evocative, which is offsetting um, a person's name when you or title when you address them in dialogue. If you do that, you are... You're, you are golden from a comma front compared to where most stories are at with commas. Because um, writers put them in places that they really don't go, <laughs> and the, the don't goes, a, a wrong, a misplaced comma will throw someone way off, whereas a missing comma often is just a minor nuisance that a lot of times you don't even notice. So, I think a lot um, of times people, people put a comma when they pause to think. They do, yeah. I do that. When I write, I do. I, a lot of times, I my stop, I'll put a comma. And then delete. <laughs> There's a funky little thing. We know it in our heads. Um, is there's any kind of, any, not any, I say any, and that's not true. There's, there's almost no exact rule that fits, but restrictive clauses are clauses that are necessary to the comprehension of the sentence. And you never put a comma in front of a restricted clause. Um, and the word that um, in, in indicates a restricted clause. Um, and the word which indicates a non-restrictive clause, which is why which gets a comma and that does not. But unlike the word which, the word that can often be left out and not change the comprehension of the sentence. Not always, but often. And what a lot of people do is they drop the that because they know they don't need it, and they put in a comma instead. And that's not how that shit works. 
if you if if you're actually taking that the word that out and putting a comma in it's like you're actually registering that you need the word that for comprehension so um I see these commas in front of restrictive clauses, and I just kind of go, oh, I just, I mean, I twitch all over because they do not belong there. <laughs> what I would say is that if you don't intend to learn anything from your beta process, then you don't need it. That's true. Doing the same, making Fandom, the same mistake over and over and over again. Fandom might not thank you, and you might get comments about your typos or whatever, um, but if you're not going to invest yourself in the beta process and learn something in the alpha or the beta process, um, then you're just wasting your time, and you're wasting the other person's time as well, and you might as well not even do it. I have... I have one person I work with um, sometimes who has some visual acuity issues. Um, I will, like, do the same corrections for her over and over and over and over again because I know she can't see that it's not there. Um, I actually really admire that she writes as much as she does with the visual acuity issues she has. So, um, I mean, that's because that's because like, just in, does not bother me at all that um, – like the commas, it's like, I know she can't see that the comma isn't there. But in any case, but there are people, you know, normally though, I don't want to have to tell someone, you know, 10 stories down the road or whatever, you know, why are you still doing this thing? Stop doing this thing. <laughs> no, really, stop doing this thing. And I don't mean comma placement because comma placement is sort of like, I don't know, that's like, they say it's a science, but it really is almost more like, I don't know, Art and art. <laughs> Comm- commas yeah. are, in a way, they are because they do shape. Commas determine inflection. Commas and determine determine emphasis. They determine pauses. Commas shape the language. So it is. There is a little bit of art to it. And there are times when a comma isn't necessarily strictly right, but it's needed for comprehension because of the sentence complexity or whatever. So I'm not talking about commas. People not learning commas well. I'm talking about things like. You know, um, if a person is speaking in a long monologue and you change paragraphs, you don't close the quote at the um, at the end of the paragraph. You don't close the quote until you're done speaking, but you do open the next paragraph with a quote. I mean, it's a very simple rule about how you use quotation marks in long-running dialogue. Um, and I just I just get really frustrated. It's one of those things. It's like ten. 10 stories down the road, we've corrected this 50 or 60 times, is why is this still an issue? Or why are there still <laughs> people speaking in the same paragraph? You know, you cannot oh my have God, people speaking in the same paragraph. So why, why, you know, mm. why, I have a work from this lady back in the early 2000s. This is her thing. Paragraphs were, were like, she got, had it in her head that a paragraph was, um, no, God. Um, but a paragraph was um, like like a mini 
a mini like a mini arc of its own. A paragraph had a beginning, middle, and end, and it's true. But so to her, a dialogue exchange that encompassed a thing all went into one paragraph, and she could have four people speaking in the same paragraph to deal with that exchange. And I'm like, what the fuck? So I t- explained to her, you cannot have two people speaking in the same paragraph in the same. In, and she said she accepted it, but she never stopped doing it. And finally, I was like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And she said, I just can't break the habit. I figure I'll let my beta deal with it. Nope. (laughs) Nope, nope, nope. The minute she said that, I noped right out of that relationship. Because she knew it was a problem, and she had no interest in fixing the problem. She was just basically – and I'm truly, this is a beta thing. This is not like, you know, editing a book or something where she knew it was a problem and she wasn't willing to learn to do it differently. She just, it was so ingrained in her that she was going to let her beta fix it. And I was like, Oh, well, don't I feel taken advantage of goodbye. (laughs) So that's not going to fly. Or, you know, putting like parentheses. Really frustrating. I know. But like the, the math. I want to punch somebody over that. The, like, I expect somebody, if I'm working with them, you know, I expect them to get better about things, not keep doing the same dialogue mechanics mistakes or the, having two people speaking in the same paragraph or um, um, changing tenses all the time or um, head hopping and that kind of thing. So over time, I kind of expect if I'm baiting with somebody, they're going to get better. And when they don't, it's super frustrating because it's like, why aren't you, why aren't you, why aren't you fixing this? Um, but then I just backed off of dating for the most part altogether because I do find the alpha relationship more rewarding. For the most part. For the most part. It can be super frustrating. Yeah. I've, I stumbled into some alpha stuff where I was like, oh, no. Make you want to slap somebody. I do. I'm eating watermelon. I hope you guys can't hear that because I can hear it in like stereo in my headset. So I hope it's not resonating out into the airways. Okay, good. Um, It's really yummy though, I have to say. um, I've said it before. When I first entered fandom, I had like literally no idea um, what a beta reader was, I was like, I just, I had no clue. None. Um, and, uh, uh, I just had no idea what that was. And so, um, there's this mindset in, in fandom that, um, sort of breeds this belief that you must have a beta you must, must, must under no circumstances post a rough draft. Um, how dare you not get our free entertainment baited? <laughs> and some segments of some things in fandom perpetuate that. Like there are some bangs or challenges that you can't participate if you don't have a beta reader. Um you know, they don't say it that way, but they say all stories must be baited. 
you know, and like one story, I almost, you know, I didn't, I hadn't lined up beta. Um, uh, actually, I've had some, there's some people who would come through on a beta for me in a pinch, but I hadn't lined up a beta on a one story, and I was gonna let it go up without it. And I was like, I kind of in my mind, and this is a little maybe arrogant, but I kind of I dare you to be able to tell the difference. Um, but you know, actually, somebody did come through and beta at the last minute for me, so. Um, I did wind up actually putting up a real beta name instead of a made-up name. I was going to say beta by Mary Sue Minion. But, you know, you know, I did. somebody actually did come through and get um, do a beta for me on that story. But um, if I've been over it, the thing, and this is the thing, I think a lot of writers, the whole – writers do abuse the beta relationship – because there are writers who go straight from rough draft to beta. They throw it at their beta and in a rough draft state. And I, this is my opinion. You don't have to agree, but actually that's like one of the rudest things you can do. Um, it's a complete disregard of the time of the person who's going to be pouring over your story and correcting your shit that you just read it. You know, you just draft it and throw it. I know people don't know that that's not cool. They actually do not know that it's not cool to not edit their own shit first. But the first edit of your stuff should be done by you. And that, you know, like I said, you don't have to agree with me, but I will judge you over it. I'm going to be all judgy <laughs> over you going the straight. The knickers of judgment are firmly in place. I might even get a wedgie from it. I'll be judging you so hard. Um, because, you, you know, you as, writers need to be able to look at their stuff and take a critical eye to their own work and clean up the problems that are there. I mean, sometimes I mean, there is the issue, one of the reasons why even people who have the best mechanics, you know, from a grammar and punctuation perspective, still need editing, is because unless you've had a long break from it, you know what it says, you are going to read it the way you wrote it in your head, not what it says on paper. Um, I have had mistakes that I had to look at that I could not see. Um, and I would have my uh, have my beta reader say, so I, I said, what are you saying is a problem? Because she would like, we had this weird beta process. She said it was a, a typo on a certain line. And I'm like, I do not see it. And I had to, I had to, I had to use something and, and block out the words and read the words one at a time with the rest of the sentence blocked out. Because no matter how many times I looked at it, I had I had word I had word reversal I had word reversal every time I looked at it I saw it the way it was supposed to be read not what she was saying was there and um, that's one of the reasons why even the best writer can still have typos that they don't see is because your brain your brain fixes it it knows what's supposed to be there um anyway um. But the, the first edit, and usually I do two edits um, before I send something, especially if it's longer, it might even get three or more, but at least two edits on a longer story before it goes to beta. And, um, you know, I think that you're responsible to at least do one. That first edit should be yours. You as the author should trim out stuff that doesn't need to be there, expand, expound on things that are not um, clear, um, make you know one of the things I see a lot in rough drafts is it's not clear who's speaking. You know the speaker needs to be clear. Um, 
and it's just really it's really harsh to send something off to beta where you haven't bothered to look at it yourself. But I know the fandom teaches you that that's what you can do. Hot off the presses, straight to beta. Um, yep. And like I said, I know a lot of people do that, and they don't know that they shouldn't. But you shouldn't. There you go. That's my opinion. I um, often, the only people who see a really, really rough draft from me are the people in um, my private chat group. Um, if I'm looking for, hey, well, what do you think of this? Is this dumb? Let me know if it's dumb. And they'll see a a rough draft that's not really a rough. By the time I'm in a process where I'm starting to look at it, I've already read through it five or six times and, and fixed shit and moved shit. And it's not perfect. It's never going to be perfect. But um, it's really, really rare for anybody to see my first draft. Like when I shared Small Magic with um, the group, um, I probably already read it four times. And tweaked it and moved it, and I have a whole list of scenes I need to add. I'm like, hey, is this? Would you look at this shit and, and let me know what you think? And it was more like a, am I nuts? <laughs> Versus actually asking for an alpha read. <laughs> would you look at yeah. this crazy shit I'm writing? <laughs> I have, like, hey, I have occasionally sent this out. I have occasionally sent something off to Alpha Read that was a rough draft. Um, and it's funny, but usually that's only because, um, A, the story's not done and I'm stuck. Um, you've done that for me a few times where I've sent you yeah. I've been stuck on something, and I've sent you effectively the rough draft. Um, although usually the section I'm stuck on will have been read over more than anything else. Um, but that's because I'm But is it quite the same of asking for somebody to fix all your problems in a beta? Right, that you could have fixed yourself. So I don't expect an alpha reader to fix anything, um, except you know help me out with GMC or whatever I'm specifically having an issue with. Do I have plot holes? Is my, you know, is my pacing okay or whatever? And for that, the fact that I, you know, got my my there wrong or my it wrong or whatever my it's wrong or whatever that doesn't matter. Um, that's not I'm not asking them to fix that anyway. Um, or my random pause commas. I'm not asking them to take those out. So, um, uh, alpha reads, but it's like I said, especially if I'm stuck, I will get get pretty close to a rough draft to an alpha reader. But if I'm um, if I'm after doing an alpha read and the story's done, it's usually been reread by me at least once. Because really, when you, when you need an alpha read is in that moment, like when you're in your when you're in that phase where you're editing is is normally when you need an alpha read. And sometimes I need one um, if I think my plot isn't doing what it's supposed to do. If I fuck something up, you know, um, the flow's wrong, or you know, and I'm not connecting with it the way I think I should. That's when I'll reach out, you know, but. Uh, because sometimes you just need to be able to ask somebody, hey, read this and tell me if it's dumb. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because you can get really kind of focused on it and you, you you literally cannot see the forest for the trees. It can be very frustrating. Yeah. And sometimes, and sometimes you don't know, like when you're all in something, you don't know... Um, 
the impact to you can be both lesser and greater than it is to the reader. Um, because you could be, you know, like if you know everything that's going on in the backstory or you've been in it with this character for a while, you could be sobbing and your reader is kind of sad, but not as affected as you are. Or you could think that um, something you've been all, you've been desensitized to what you're writing and you think it's pacing well or whatever, and you've just given your reader a heart attack. So when you're all up in it, you have don't have perspective. And that's one of the things you had asked me to, it wasn't only an alpha read, although I guess it was, and you didn't necessarily call it that. You said, read this and tell me if you think of this one thing. And I read it. And I, I wrote was that back, one thing? I it was like being, um, well, I wrote you back and told you it was like being slapped. <laughs> um, you had these two events that were really intense back to back. Separate, you can talk about events. it because you can you can go ahead and mention it. Oh, oh, I know what you mean. You're talking about um, um, courting Hermione Granger. Yes, and I did. I wrote you back. I said it was like being slapped. <laughs> I I had I had a really hard time with it. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad, but it, there's nothing wrong with it. But it was so intense that you know I was like you know it would be it was abrupt. E- easier. It, it was abrupt, and you were I think you were really in it. You know, you were really in in that in the thing, and you went from this one event, this other event, and emotionally it was, for me, it was too much. Now, people have different tolerances, so I explained to you why it was too much for me and, and why I struggled. Um, I think you put a scene, but yeah, you put scene in the final, you had other scenes between those two events. But it was I think I put a whole chapter. Themselves. Yeah, you did. I put a whole chapter um, between, basically what I did was, is I went from Harry and Hermione having their um their ritual marriage and everything because of her being cursed to um her cousin's murder back to back um yeah so i had to put a uh um that's the way i plotted it so i wrote it and then um but i was so like i said i couldn't see the forest for the trees but um it the reader did need a breather and i didn't see that until there was something wrong with it. I just didn't know what it was. And so Jilly read it and said, whoa, dude, whoa. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think people have different tolerances for intensity. Um, and that was just, that really pushed my limits on the intensity front. And so that was my feedback was, you know, this was a little bit, I believe I actually, what I said was like being slapped, but it was too much for me. And, and then the, in the final product, um, I thought it flowed great. The flow was really good, even though it was both scenes separately were very still had as much impact as the original. The mm-hmm. pause, the breather, to me actually, for me, made the pace better because, um, you know, I didn't feel like I was about to have a heart attack. So, yeah, it was but, like you know, you know it was, I did didn't see it, but it is it is a better read with that breather. And a lot of times you don't see that when you're when you're in it. But looking back on it now, I can see that it definitely needed that breathing space, you know. Yeah. And that's the value someone, of an alpha reader. Yeah. And someone mentioned further up that you that the, if you give yourself enough time between your writing and um, the editing, you can see your own problems. And that's true. That's definitely true. If I were willing to wait six months to a year on every story I write. I would never need anybody to edit them but me. Um, 
assuming I had worked out all my alpha problems. Okay, if I make it to the final draft, um, if I were willing to wait, sit on those stories for six months to a year, I would never need anybody's beta read for me because, yeah, I would be able to see all the problems myself. There are problems, there are stories I have written that I went over and over and over and over, and when I read them a year later, I see all kinds of typos, typos, comma issues. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. And the same thing can happen um, sometimes sometimes with alpha alpha issues. You give yourself enough space, you can sort it out. But... Yeah, you'd be like, and somebody told me, I'm not even sure I wrote this. <laughs> yeah, there could be that. It's like, I mean, I know I wrote Ties It Bind, but I reread it like last year, and I had not read it in a long time. And some of that shit was practically new to me. <laughs> I'm like, wow, look what I did. <laughs> like, where was, where was I? Where was my head? What was going on with my life at that point? Yeah. Um, there, but somebody, I, I talked to me once, somebody once about that, that if you, you know, and she said, oh, yeah, well, yeah, fan fiction writers, writers in general, you know, they're not going to sit on a story that long. And typically they don't. There are stories I've come back to that I did sit on for a long time. But typically if we're finished with our work, we're not going to sit on it. And there's a few reasons why. Um, and it's not just an instant gratification thing. We want to get it done, you know. But it is partially um, a headspace. When you're in a headspace to work on a specific project, not working on it when you're there is a recipe to not ever work on it. <laughs> um, because you can, you can. I've talked to people about this before, you can kind of forcing yourself to work on something. Sometimes you need to just like hunker down and do your editing and get it done. Um, or you've got a deadline or so you're under contract and you need to force yourself. But if you're not under some kind of you know external pressure, forcing yourself to work on a story often results in not working on anything. I cannot tell you the number of writers I've talked to who aren't writing anything because the only thing they can write on or according to them should be writing on is this one thing, but they don't want to write on that one thing, so they're writing nothing. And what is the point of that? There's zero, zero point in writing nothing when you want to be writing because the only thing you're letting yourself write is something you don't want to write. And that's why I would never... If I'm in a space to work on a story, I would never not work on it just so that I could um, sit on it and see if I could solve my problems myself later. That's stretching. I've got a good support structure, so that's stretching independence a bit too far. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it comes up over and over and over again. People saying, well, I, I, I should be writing, I'm working on this story. It's the only thing I'm going to work on. I'm not going to work on anything else until it's done. And then six months later, they haven't written a word in six months because it's not the thing they want to be working on. So you could have been writing six months worth of other shit, <laughs> but instead. You could have wrote Harry Potter in six months. What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. Don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to yourself. I um, have a lot of work in progress, and a lot of people are like, why do you have so many work in progress? Because my mind wonders, and I let it do it, because that's how I feel the most creative, and um, I write for me. And mm-hmm. there is an instant gratification in posting in fandom, so I don't often sit on work, because I do want to share it. That's why I have a website. That's why I have a challenge site. You know, I mean, obviously, you know... Um, 
I'm, I'm all about, you know, getting out there and, you know, doing your thing and doing you and, but it is, it is about me. It's not about the reader. I just work under the assumption that everybody wants to read my stuff. (laughs) 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 Just saying. I I I actually don't, and it's just because I I know that I've got um, a very distinct set of readers who are only interested in reading what I write if it's got NCIS characters in it. Um, and um, I picked up a couple of Harry Potter readers, mostly through Slytherin Black, who come to my site periodically, and they're like, "There's not much Harry Potter here." And I'm like, "I know, I know." I'm not really reading your, and the actual time, I'm really not interested in reading your NCIS stuff. I'm like, I didn't tell you you had to. <laughs> I don't really care. You do you. Then one night, one night they'll get bored and they'll come in there and they'll read your NCIS fic and blame you. <laughs> I don't normally it's read NCIS, but I didn't have anything else to read. And so I came over here and now I'm reading it. Are there any more dragon stories set in NCIS? <laughs> I have, I have had comments like that. Um, there was one lady who came to my site looking for Slytherin Black because she thought that's where it would be. And um, she wrote me, she said, I found this one Harry Potter story. Am I on the right site? And I was like, well, you are on the right site, but Slytherin Black's not done yet, which is why it's not posted. Um, and so she was very polite about the whole thing. She's like, oh, okay, well, I'll just subscribe to your site so I know when it, when it comes. Um, and then um, and then she made, she made the comment on the thing that she hadn't read the one Harry Potter story that's up there because it sounded weird to her. Um, and I agree it sounds weird, but people, you guys just need to accept that if it sounds weird, it's probably not as weird as it sounds. <laughs> um, or it could anyway, be so weirder than it sounds. Or it could be weirder than it sounds, that's true. Yeah. Um, but still give it a chance. You know, you never know. You might like it anyway. Anyway, she um, decided to go ahead and read it. Um and that's why, because I, I guess she decided to read it because she, I had feedback from her, and she was very enthused. And then she said, well, "I don't read NCIS, but I might give one of them a try." And she did. What she, the first, the one first one she read was Emergence. She went with that one. That was her trial of her NCIS stories. Was Emergence, which had enough well, way to go in. in <laughs> yeah, it had enough fantasy. I wanted I think deep in. And then I think she, she she read every single thing, and I think commented on at least ninety percent of it that I that on my site over the next week. And um, I was I started to worry that she wasn't getting her work done. <laughs> I was like, what like are you doing? email your. I had someone recently go through my Stargate and like every single thing, every single Stargate story. I wanted to email them and say, "Dude, are you working? Are you on vacation?" <laughs> You're getting your bills paid, right? Because <laughs> I've got a lot of Stargate thick. Yeah, you do. You could get lost on Kira's site for a long time. Crazy. I don't know if she read. My, I don't know if she read the two. I think I've got two that are purely Stargate stories. I don't know if she read those or not. I don't remember. But I remember because I I don't see my likes. Um, those go straight into a folder. I have to go looking for them. But then one day 
I connected my site to the WordPress app, and you get notified. I get, and I didn't turn off notifications, and so I started getting. I started getting all these notifications from WordPress, and so and so liked your post, and I'm like, who cares? Stop <laughs> that. But uh, yeah, she was really busy for a few days, well, about a week reading everything, um, and she's like. I don't think I like NCIS at all, but um, this is really good. And she said, do you have NCIS writers you would recommend? And I was like, oh, that's going to get thorny. Nope. Um, but I point I threw it at Lady Raw. No, I threw it at Lady okay. Raw, but you can read just about anything she, she's written happily. There's a few, few NCIS writers I think that you can read almost their entire body of work um, and not be unhappy with life. But, yeah, I threw, threw it at Lady Raw and said, start there. <laughs> um I mean, you come up for air. You can also read her Sentinel stuff. It's great. Her Stargate stuff, stuff great. Um, just, just go, go forth and have fun. Um, yeah, corrupting people into NCIS. I don't know if that's something I should be doing. If that's, if that's a good life choice, but here's <laughs> right. where we are. I'm sorry, NCIS fandom. I'm, I'm really sorry on several levels. <laughs> I'm just gonna leave it at that. There you go. But um, I know you're not all right. I know. I know you're not all right in CIS fandom. I know. You know, you never were. <laughs> I'll stop being an asshole. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. I, it's funny. I was, um, somebody posted about... Um, I don't remember. It was about science in the story. Science in a story. It was in. It was in our in our rough trade. Um, the not rough trade. It was in our challenge event thing, and they posted about um, science in the story. And they were hand waving it. And it was kind of uncomfortable thing. Um, and I just kind of remarked, you know, that I call. It, I think I called the canon hand wave of convenience. That like if canon does it. I'm okay doing it <laughs> or at least going to that level of absurdity. Um, and I specifically cited Scorpio, which is in the NCIS universe and the episode where they made um, anti-venom um, in the back of a food truck with a ferret and a salad spinner. Um, so I was like, <laughs> if <laughs> I feel like I, as a writer am entitled to rise to that level of convenience in my NCIS stories. Um, it's absurd, and people will bitch and go, you can't make anti-venom in the back of a food truck with a salad spinner and a ferret. And a, uh, but, you know, but I would just point them at the episode and say, Canon says I can. Um, so, hey, you people who like Canon compliance, this is me being Canon compliant. Um, so, but I mentioned that because that's like the NCIS universe is a little bit absurd. Um, Oh my God! So many commented Sarah. Yeah, Sarah commented that she had given up on NCIS and thought that um, I had invented dead air because it was such. Probably thought I had invented the 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 plot line because it was absurd that Canon would do that, but no. That shit actually happened. Yeah, the actual canon of these shows 
is so absurd in the NCIS universe sometimes that, um, yeah, that there's just makes you want to slap somebody, somebody real specific. <laughs> mm. So I'm just do saying. you. Do you need a beta reader? No. No. Should you have a beta reader? Probably. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Um, Depending on your skill level and your ability to use your own spell check in Microsoft Word. And whether or not you want to have a membership to Grammarly, which I highly recommend. If you have ever posted, maybe not ever, but if you are in the habit of posting things that have words that do not exist in any dictionary. And anytime I bitch about people not using spell check, inevitably there are at least three people who give me instances where spell check will not help because the issue is word confusion, not or a homonym, and not a misspelling. That is not what I'm talking about, okay? But there are stories I have read that have words that do not exist, okay? And if you are in the habit of posting stories that are not spell-checked, I'm going to make this unequivocal statement. You do not need a beta. You are too rudimentary in your craft. You're too new in craft for you to be basically wasting a beta's time. And that's the truth. Inflicting you yourself be, on others. Yes, you you should not be inflicting yourself on others. Because if you can't bother to click the ABC and find out if you have words that don't exist in the dictionary in your story, then you no, know, you don't need a beta. You 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 have you have steps to go. You have you have miles to travel on your journey before you're ready for a beta reader. So, um. Stop being an asshole. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It is. That is pure assholery that you won't run spell check. And Pete, somebody said, I had to meet counter. People like to counter why they shouldn't have to run spell check. It's because of all the names that don't exist in the dictionary. Well, one of two things. If you're writing a name all the time, like Denozo, that you're tired of Add spell to the check goddamn dictionary. On, add it to the dictionary. Or the other feature it's a is if it's a name you're only going to use once, ignore all. You run spell check, it hits the first time it runs across the name Carruthers, and you say ignore all, and it never checks that word again in that document. So <sighs> move on. Don't be an asshole. Move on. Move on. The thing is, is if you're going to ask somebody else to invest their time in your work, then it is rude for you to not to invest more time in your work than they ever will. For every hour that a, a beta gives me, I've already given that story 10. When God helped me, when I, or Thor, or Loki, or whoever I'm currently praying to, um, because I'm not actually praying to anybody, and I haven't in years. Um, 
when I get ready to put Small Magic out, um, I have already invested 22 solid hours in Small Magic. That's before beta. Uh, yeah, it'd probably be Eru. Yeah. Mahal. Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. yeah. Either way, um, by the time a beta team... <laughs> I will have spent, I don't know, between 30 and 40 solid hours on it. And if you're not prepared to do that for your own work, then you have no business whatsoever asking anybody even to give you 30 minutes of their time. That's right. I completely agree. Now, I'm not saying you should spend 40 hours on every story you write. I'm saying if you're going to put out 200K of Hobbit-Harry Potter crossover, you better bring it before you ask somebody else to bring their game to the table, too. Because that's a lot of investment um, for somebody to put into a story. That's a lot of time. And to ask somebody to do that, um, when you can't even be bothered to run the spell check... I really don't want to even, like, talk to you about it. I'm not interested in hearing your justification for why you think you don't even have to run spell check. Because people um, – I talked to somebody once about the whole rough draft thing, about sending rough draft to beta, and they said, well, I do this for free. And I said, what does that have to do with anything? And I said, well, I don't need, shouldn't have to put any more time into it than the writing. I'm doing this for free. I said, so your beta – why – I don't uh, – your beta then is obligated to put the time in that you won't? Is that what you're saying? I'm, I'm missing something here in your rationale. And they said, well, you know, betas volunteer to this kind of thing. I said, but they're not getting anything out of it. You are getting feedback, okay? They're getting nothing out of it except doing it out of the kindness of their heart, um, probably because they like your writing, conceivably, Um they're, they're, they're getting nothing out of this at all. So you think that they, what, owe you what? What do they owe you? Um, and it's just a really entitled writer point of view. So I don't have any patience for those kinds of shenanigans either. Irregardless is not a word. It would spell check would catch that. Unless they put it in their custom dictionary. <laughs> Which makes you think they probably have. If you see it often in somebody's work, they probably put it in their custom dictionary. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. I got distracted by that terrible word. I don't have any idea what I was going to say. <laughs> it's gone. Like a leaf on the wind. Oh, wait. It's still too soon. I hurt my I hurt my own feelings. You hurt your feelings. Yeah, I hurt my own feelings. Yeah, word won't, word, no spell checker is going to, and I, 
it comes up over and over and over and over and over again. People are giving examples in chat about words that spell check won't help you with. That's still not the point. Spell check will help you with words that have letter reversals, like um, PSUH. And if you turn on grammar check in Word, especially the newest version of Word, it will help you a lot with things that it didn't always help you with in the past. There, there, and there. Grammar checker and words have, where and have where. improved a lot. I will say that grammar checker and words still seems to gag over some instances of breathe and breath. Word, che- word, spell che- word grammar checker was legendary for telling people to change correct instances of breath to breathe or vice versa. And it still struggles mm-hmm. with that a little bit, which I think is very strange because it's not difficult. Um, but... It's much, much – I used to completely ignore word grammar checker. It's gotten a lot better. Um, I Grammarly picks up things – and the thing is, if I run the same document through Grammarly and Word, and they catch different things and catch them accurately. So they both also catch things. I actually have never had Word point out something that it was wrong about, really, except for the breathe breath thing. Not flat out wrong, but it can't really interpret your writing. It's doing it best it can based upon a um, set of algorithms it has. So it's like, well, that doesn't really apply in this instance. Then you ignore it. I have had Grammarly tell me to make changes that were flat out wrong. So um, between the two, though, you're going to – okay, people, please stop with the homonyms. <laughs> I know spell check won't help. I know. That's my point. Um, but it will help you. Know, you know, honestly, if you don't know the difference between alter and alter, um, don't use either one of them. I'm just, I'm just saying. You know, sometimes you just type it wrong, but you, you should see it and know that it's wrong. That, that's the case of where you have to reread your own work. You know, you need to reread it to see that you got the wrong alter. Or that you use dominant instead of dominate or whatever, or dominate instead of dominant. Um, if you reread your own work, you're going to go, oh, slap, you know, do do face palm, and you're going to move on and fix it. If you don't read your own work, that stuff goes to your beta, they kind of think you're a bonehead, <laughs> especially if you do it a lot. <laughs> or an asshole. Yeah. Well, I discovered that, that somebody sent me their rough draft when I – wrote them about um, a bunch of word confusion stuff. And I was like, I know you know these words. I, I was like, oh, I just sent you my rough draft. I was like, bro, well, allow me to return this to you. Let me know when it's not a rough draft anymore. <laughs> That's so rude. I mean, really, it is really rude. Yeah. The thing is, fandom doesn't tell you that. If, if you come up in writing in fandom, especially these days, you know, where before when fandom was a lot smaller community, I mean, there were there were a lot of rules about how you did stuff, and some of them are ridiculous, and you need to just throw we need to just throw that shit right out of our brains. But um, fandom, if you like, people go by example. If you're starting to write and you've read all these writers for years who really explain their process, you know, um, you will think that hot off the presses and straight to beta is okay. You will think that um, 
you know, all this, they think a lot of these bizarre shenanigans that you see in the stories are okay. Um, you should not, you know, use fandom as your gold standard for craft. Really, like that could even be a rule. Usually, <laughs> they throw out the rules and figure your own shit out. But fandom is not is not the metric you want to use for what good craft is. There's a lot of good craft out there, but fandom actually encourages bad craft, in my opinion. And sometimes discourages um, originality. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't do that. No one else is doing it that way. Why are you doing that? Oh, don't do that. Yes, yeah, so, so sometimes you will have mistakes that go through. That's inevitable. Um, just shrug it off and move on. And if it really drives you crazy, fix it. But don't. The, the point is not to make. The point is not to have a perfect product. That is not the point at all. The point is to get the product to the point that you are happy with it. Now, if you're only happy with perfection, well, you might need to do some exposure therapy because there is no perfect story. You're screwed. Story. You are screwed. There is no perfect story. There is no perfectly punctuated, perfectly capitalized, perfectly perfect grammatically story. Um, My cousin told me once that there are typos in the Bible. Isn't the whole thing a Have typo? fun looking for those. Huh? Isn't the whole thing a typo? Um, mm. Depending on your per- um, point of view. Yeah. But, you know, there's this... Sam can set this... Um, come back to that question we've talked about before is what is it you're trying to do are you trying to grow as a writer or are you trying to produce are you trying to produce fan fiction to get feedback and it is a different mindset maybe if fan fiction is the only kind of writing you want to do that's fine but the question is is are you approaching it to um feedback and kind of you know, let your audience craft your story for you. Do a lot of the things we talked about that aren't good for craft. If that's your intent, then that's a very different intent than somebody who's trying to grow as a writer. And you can try to grow as a writer and try to grow your craft and only ever write fan fiction. So it's not about fan fiction. It's about what are you trying to do. And if you're trying to be a better writer, you need to not pay attention to what fandom is doing. Because if there's a discussion about should you use parentheses in in fiction and the publishing standard is no no you shouldn't do that they don't belong there there are other ways of offsetting parenthetical phrases in fiction you do it with commas or m dashes or something and yet in fandom it's a debate in publishing it's not a debate in fandom, it's a debate, and you will have. It's not a debate. People, they're just wrong. They're just wrong. But they'll, you'll have a hundred people <laughs> telling you about how parentheses can be used to good effect, and I'm like, so. I mean, it's just it's a ridiculous discussion. Having craft discussions with 
fandom, fandom as, a, as an entity, is pointless. As with individual writers who want to write fan fiction, that can be a productive discussion. Fandom will tell you that you can use a colon as a dialogue tag. You know, Bob said, colon, quote, oh, no. And actually, the, the colon and the quote is worse than just the colon because you've now combined script writing and narrative fiction together. And it's just so wrong. But people will tell you that, and I want to stab oh, it's okay. You. And you'll go into writer's groups, and you'll have 100 people who tell you it's okay. Well, okay for what? Okay, this is not craft. That's not craft. That is, I don't know, that's some kind of shenanigans for fan fiction that I don't understand. So whenever you're approaching the discussion about, should I have a beta? Should I do this? Should I run spell checks? Should I, well, we'd say, what do you want to do? And Kira and what I are talking to get out to, of it. Kira and I are talking to people who want to write, who want to grow their craft as writers, who want to be writers. Maybe only ever write fan fiction. Maybe only ever write the one epic novel or whatever. But it's about the fact that they want to grow their craft. And that's the discussion. That's, the, that's when we're saying, do you need a beta? No. It might be productive for you, but you don't need one. Do you need an alpha reader? No. But it's, it's probably a good exercise to go through at least once in your life. Um, do you need to run spell check? Yes. You need to reread your own. Hell yes. yes. These are hell yes. That's, cr- that's craft. That's what we're talking about. And if you just want for me to validate your opinion that it's okay to have three people talking in the same paragraph or use parentheses to talk to the reader, um, I got a group you can join. Know. Let me know yeah, offline. You can join. They'll they'll validate <sighs> that opinion for you. That wrong ass opinion, but you know, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't matter what you're writing. It doesn't. It doesn't matter what your product is. It's about your goals. Um, and I, um, I've been writing for a very long time. Um, I've written in um, a lot of different arenas. I've had multiple positions um, in creative writing. I, I, I know hundreds of writers. Um, I have surrounded myself both online and in real life with writers as much as I possibly can for my whole life. Um, And it really honestly does boil down to what you want to accomplish. Do you need the Chicago style manual? What do you want to accomplish? Do you need a beta reader? Do you need an alpha reader? What do you want to accomplish? Do you need to tell the same story ten times to get it right? Do you need to have 300 works in progress? I do. (laughs) I don't think I actually have that many, but I do have a lot because that's just how my mind works. Mm-hmm. There are days I noodle on one story for the whole day, and sometimes for a week or two or three. I mean, that is what's in my head. And sometimes I will plot out four or five, six different stories in a day. 
because that's where my brain is. It's kind of all over the place. And sometimes I want to write on six different things. And so I write on six different things. Because the more I let my creative this is this is how I work. I don't know how anybody else works. I can't speak for anybody else, but the more I let the creative creative energy just kind of go and the more I use it, the more creative I am. So it's not like there's a limited well there. You know, it's not like I have a limited supply of creativity. And when I feel blocked, you know, doing something to kind of get that creative energy going um, helps me get better than doing that phase. It's much better than doing something to that. And sometimes that's editing. Sometimes that is editing or plotting. It's like I can't, sometimes I string words together and I'm like in a cat, bat, rat, car, bar. And it's like those are the words that are coming out. It's like they're, it's like, it's staccato and kind of pedantic and short and kind of the in in uh, it's awful, but that's the way the words are coming out and I it's so frustrating, and so sometimes if I'm getting frustrated with the words coming out, I will switch to something else and I'll plot something. Um, yes, you know, so we've said was this was it, or was it earlier today or yesterday? We said there's no bad idea. You know, there's Good ideas can come from bad ideas, and we started with a bad idea. We turned it into a really horrifyingly good idea. That apocalypse yeah. thing. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah, but what if? <laughs> but what if? Yeah, and it was really, and I've actually been noodling on that all day. Um, but you know, sometimes it's stop and plot, and we make notes or edit. Sometimes when I get, especially if I'm put in a kind of pedantic space, editing is a really good thing for me to be doing. Um. So, and if you think you've got a bad idea, sometimes you just need to talk it out with somebody because you've got to get it out of your own head. Um, but even if the only thing I ever write, well, it's, it's, I can't say only thing I ever write because I've already written original fiction, but even if the only thing anybody ever sees is fan fiction, um, my goal is to be a better writer. That's what I want to do. I want to be a writer. I am a writer, and I want I want to be better at it. I want to always be proving. Sometimes I do have to tell the same story ten different ways. And that's, that's what I'm going to do. Now, it's good well, to know you have to get you're telling. You have to get it out. You have to get it out. Yeah. And you have to give yourself sometimes permission you to be creative. Yeah. Give yourself permission to be creative and to think outside of the box and to build that box 20 times if you have to because it's about your journey as a writer, not so much your destination. Because when you reach your destination, your trip is over. My journey as a writer is never going to end. Because my destination is always a thousand miles in front of me. Even if I walk a thousand miles today, it's still going to be a thousand miles in front of me. That's the point. At least that's my point. Mm-hmm. Mine too. And that's and why yeah, I did have pod- my arm out there sticking with my finger. I was pointing out into the distance as I said that shit. <laughs> like you could see that. It's like you said. Um, I just blanked. I just had a I had a brain 
it, this was this is not this is a blue screen of death of the brain. I almost saw the blue screen. Windows ninety five. Um, wow. We always the funny thing is we should we always give the disclaimer of like you can do whatever you want to do. Um, because but the thing is is like if people haven't figured out by now that we're talking to people who wanna who wanna grow as writers as opposed to people who just want to throw stuff up for feedback. I'm not being judgy. Oh, maybe I'm just being judgy. I'm you know, whatever. But I'm, I'm being judgy. Okay. I'm not talking to you. If that's <laughs> if you're not interested in growing your craft, if you're not interested in being a better writer, I am not talking to you. Keep doing what you're doing. This well, I don't know why you'd be listening to a craft podcast anyway. Um and it's not about fan fiction. Okay? If you only ever write fan fiction, I have zero fucks to give about that and actually no judgment about it either. So um question is do you want to be a better writer and that's what we're talking about is how things you might want to look at to be a better writer start with spell check then get a beta <laughs> but you don't need one right because it, it does boil down what you're going to get out of it um and what you uh what you learn from it because if you're not learning um why bother? There's zero point. Boo, if you want to post um your work after Rough Trade, you can join the Wild Hair Project and all feedback is moderated over there as well. And if you want none, we can turn it off on your posts. Yep, we sure can. We, can. we can turn it off post by post, right? Yeah, we can turn it off. I know mm-hmm. we can do that. I've done it. So we can turn feedback off on your post. So if you really don't want it. Or if you want moderated feedback, we can, you can do that. Which is the, the default is moderated feedback. Taking a while here. I usually go over there and check for comments in the morning, but I forgot to do it today. Uh, I, I didn't do it either, so there could be something there. There's just a couple. <laughs> yeah, there's just a couple. Okay. Um, the point behind the Wild Hair Project was to give people who participate in Rough Trade a safe spot to drop their works afterwards if they didn't want to participate in an archive. Because um, Rough Trade is a, is a sheltered environment, and a lot of people are, are comfortable in Rough Trade. Um, who would not be comfortable anywhere else uh, because they've had bad experiences in fandom or they've never actually posted before until they hit rough trade or they haven't posted in a very long time. Um, So um, I recognize that a lot of stories that were going up on rough trade were never appearing anywhere else. And so I offered um, the wild hair project. We built that um, Jillian and I for, um, the people who are on Rough Trade, and of course, you don't have to be a member of Rough Trade and a participant to join the Wild Hair Project. It's not what it's about, but it was originally that was the idea to um, to give space to people who participate in Rough Trade a safe spot to land afterward. And it has the we have. Um, um, you know, a mod- I would say a moderate number of writers at this point. It's it's a, the posting interface is very similar to um, 
rough trade, rough trade. Um, so, you know, if you, if you, especially if you're, especially if you're a rough trade writer and you want to be on, um, wild hair, um, give us a shout, especially, especially it's like this. So like our, like top tier, we will go out of our way to accommodate you is if you are a rough trade writer and you're not comfortable posting anywhere else, just as long as you don't post in one of the as long as you don't write in one of the criteria we don't allow on the site which is rpf and um underage pedophilia you're go- yeah yeah um as long as you don't write in one of the forbidden things on the site you just give us a sh- you know drop us a line on the, co- on the on the on the site and specifically say that you are a rough trade participant um who is not comfortable posting anywhere else and you will go to the top of the list of authors to be added because um, we want to get a safe haven for people who don't have it anywhere else. Um, we have we do have writers. We're not saying that's the only people who can join. That's not what I'm saying at all. But if if it's if if um, if you're a rough trade participant and you don't have anywhere else to post because you're not comfortable or you don't feel safe, um, you are, you know, you will go to the front we of the line. We built it for you. Opinion. You were, you, were what was, you were what was in on our minds when we t- first talked about it, was people who didn't feel safe going anywhere else, and particularly who, who had been with us on Rough Trade. So, um, just, and specifically, like I said, when you, when you fill out your author application, be sure to note that and say that you're a Rough Trade participant and you don't post anywhere else, you don't feel comfortable, so that we know that we need to get to you sooner rather than later. And we will. We will. I, um, we're pretty awesome, yeah. We are awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, like I said, I have known a, a great many writers, and um, I find writers, other writers, very inspiring. Um, uh, twice as inspiring as practically anybody else I've I've ever encountered, um, because there is nothing more um, dynamic and interesting than a group of writers sitting down to hom- to have a conversation about the stories they're going to tell. I mean, it is it is electric to be in that kind of um, group uh, to connect with with writers from different generations, and it's it's just it's awesome. It is really awesome to talk to somebody who gets you because yeah. there, there's nothing more intru- frustrating to encounter somebody who. Bless his heart, my husband. He has no idea where my words come from, and I can't tell him. I don't know where they come from. They're just they're just there. You know. Yeah. You know. It is just you guys. I do know. know. It is just there. It's just there. Now a reader will get you as a writer more than a. It's like other writers will get other writers the best. 
Um, but a reader, readers will understand the whole writing thing better than than I'm sure your husband is a reader, but the, other than non-readers, I know but... readers, I know book people, people who are really into books, like when they meet people who don't read books, they like don't know what to do with that. They don't know what to do. I with don't it. either. I so, have no idea what to do with a book reader. I wouldn't have married someone who was a reader. I just be, I'm like, what? I don't even know what to do with you, dude. Get so, a book. <laughs> There is a difference. But the way the way a reader is when they meet another reader is the same way writers are kind of when they meet other writers. It's like you get it. And it's 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 being in the same place. It's sharing um a similar passion. And if you're if you are um um I had a friend who, she basically, other than me, um, I was not part of her bigger social circle. I didn't like her other friends, quite frankly. Um, but none of her other friends were readers. And um, it drove her crazy. <laughs> they didn't read books. Like one of them said that, that he hadn't even, he couldn't even say that the last thing he read was in high school because he got his girlfriend to write all of his um, book reports. Wow. And his essay. Wow. So I so because he hated reading. And I'm like, This is your friend, are you sure? You really have nothing in common. Because, I mean she read a novel a day at least. Um, it depended upon the length. But she could she could go through three mass market paperbacks of romances after work. I've never met anybody who could read while driving, but she could with one foot sticking wow. out of the Um But anyway, um, but she would go – for her, it's like on the weekend, she would go to the bookstore, you know, those, one of those bookstores where they have couches and tables and stuff, and she would settle in in the fiction section and be surrounded by people she didn't know. And she told me one time, she said, I feel more like I am with my tribe in a bookstore with strangers than I do when I'm with my friends. Well, I told her she needed new friends. But that Yeah, she definitely needed new yeah, friends. So that experience that she had of – being around people who were passionate about reading, that's the same experience writers have when they are around other people who are passionate about writing. It's that same kind of, like, it's like a, it's like a, your soul sighs in relief and goes, these are my peeps. Um, it's so, it's just such a cool thing to be around other, other writers and people who, who do that. Even if, even if they aren't writing right now, um, like I had somebody watch, somebody told me we were talking about writing one day, and she said, "Oh, I mean, I'm not a writer anymore." I'm like, "What does that mean?" She's like, "Well, I used to write. She got really burned, and she didn't write now, but she'd written a lot um, before. But she stopped because she'd kind of gotten burned, and life experience, life, life happened, and she was kind of blocked up creatively. And I mean, that doesn't mean she's not a writer. No, she still she still told stories in her head." You know, writers are born. That 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 doesn't turn off. You either are a writer or you're not. You can be taught the fundamentals of grammar and craft, but you can't be taught to be creative. So either you tell stories or you don't. You either have the words or you don't. 
as the stories only exist in your head anymore, if you stop for some reason, actually putting the words on paper. Um, but you're still a writer. You're still a writer. You're still a writer. You still relate to people with that creativity, with that creativity for stories, with that passion for storytelling um, in the same fundamental way. So if you're listening to the podcast and you are, like, feeling like you don't know, like, if you can call yourself a writer, well, are you, can you at least call, if you can call yourself a storyteller, we are in the same tribe, even if the only person you tell those stories to is yourself. I, my main hobby is telling stories to myself. In the car, yeah, in kidding. the shower, when I can't sleep. Never turns off. And there's a horrible thing. That is how I've that. entertained myself for, I don't know, 30 plus years. I'm pretty sure I started that like in the crib. <laughs> this is too boring. I'm pretty sure I've I always out been a self contained unit. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can um, entertain myself. I can definitely entertain myself. But if you. Um, if you are a storyteller and that's what you do, then you're you're definitely the writer in the soul parts, right? I mean that. I just, there's a terrible word people put on what that is that telling yourself stories, and it has a very negative connotation, and it shouldn't because there's something wrong with it. And they'll call you, "Are you daydreaming again?" Or they'll call you a daydreamer. And I'm like, "Yeah, what are you doing?" Not reading a book, I can tell. I know, you don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) I was often accused of daydreaming in school because I was bored with whatever was going on. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, pardon me for using my brain. Or not. Kiss my butt. Yeah, it's like I can follow your science lecture that I read about three months ago and still make up a story in my head. So, you know, but they would, they, they would say, are you daydreaming again? Or they get sent a note home, you know, Julie's been daydreaming again. Like, you need to pay more attention. Why? I mean, I, I never understood that. I had a 4.0 and people are telling me I need to pay more attention. <laughs> I was like, to what? You're unfocused. So, are you going to give me a higher grade if I focus? Right. I mean, if I was failing, I told a teacher. I, having this. I told a teacher once. I I didn't mean to. You know, sometimes you know, if someone catches you off guard, you're you're, you're just smart ass takes over, right? So I'm sitting there mm-hmm. and I'm not paying attention to class, um, and. He calls my name sharply and says, pay attention. And before I can help myself, the word be entertaining came out of my mouth. <laughs> and the moment I said it, I, I stopped and he, I said, I, dude, that, I, I didn't mean to say that. He said, but you were thinking it. I was like, yeah, but don't you think a lot of things that you don't actually say? And he was like, yeah, yeah, okay. So you think I'm boring? I, think, I said, yes. Yeah. Yes, I'm I sorry. do. I, I think you're very boring. But 
you know, even when I had teachers that weren't boring, to be fair, I thought I thought school was boring. I was eternally bored in school. Uh, I was one of those kids who never had homework because it was done before I ever left school. You know, yeah, I had that problem homework. too. Nope. Already done. I did it. I did my social studies homework while my science teacher was boring the fuck out of me. <laughs> and then I would do whatever the last class of the day is homework on the bus. I never had homework because um, I was doing it. I could do my homework and listen to the lecture. That's just, it was just, I found school just so tedious. And But the thing is, for somebody who did not get in trouble and who got straight A's, um, I got a remarkable amount of criticism for being unfocused and daydreaming. And yeah. I was like, well, who cares? Why? Who is this hurting? It's clearly not hurting me, but who is it hurting that I their, am, um, daydreaming? Their ego? Daydreaming, yeah. Do you have any idea how many weeks of my life I spent grounded for getting straight A's because it said something like, that I'm not focusing. <laughs> doesn't pay attention. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't pay attention. It needs to apply herself more. I was like, to what? And that was my question to one of my teachers. I said, you told my father that I needed to apply myself more. I got 100 on every single test I have taken in this class. What am I supposed to apply myself to? And she said, well, you don't pay attention in class. Really not, oh, so I'm different. supposed to apply myself to pandering your ego. Okay. I ended up in the principal's office a lot if I got shit like that on my report card. But after, I, I guess, after eighth grade, I, I really didn't get um, crap like that anymore. I got it mostly in junior high. Junior high, elementary school were the worst ones for that. Um, I think there's a lot more apathy towards high school years. Nobody really cared what so I was doing. That's when I learned to write and pretend I was taking notes. I wouldn't want anybody to actually see what I was actually writing. That's why I, what I would do is do homework from the last class. <laughs> No, but, you know, I was that girl you, who passed around porn. Yes, even in high school. My senior year, I was known for it. I was on any given my, day, there were between 15 and 20 stories passing around my high school that I wrote. And every single one of them was pornographic. Oh, I, don't, I, I know. I couldn't have. I, I, uh, um. My biological father was a minister. That was not going to fly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't put my name on them. Oh, well, okay. Well, I wasn't, everybody, that, I wasn't that... Everybody knew I wasn't who they sneaky. came from. I wasn't that... I, I actually wasn't that... I wasn't that sneaky when I was... I hadn't developed my Slytherin traits yet. Although, sometimes people... I've, I mentioned this in a prior podcast. But sometimes people would think that I was sneaky... Because I would use the letter of the law to get away with stuff, 
but I didn't look at that as being sneaky. I was like, if you didn't make a better argument, that's not my problem. Because I was, but I wasn't right. even looking for it because it was, it was part of that literal mindedness that I would see the loopholes. I'd be like, well, I didn't say I couldn't do that, so fine, I'll go do that. Um, and they're like, you're so sneaky. I'm like, what? What's sneaky about it? You're the one who didn't make a very clear rule. You didn't say well, I couldn't do that. Well, that was the spirit of it. Well, I, I don't know what to do with spirits. <laughs> I, I need defined. I need I need boundaries. I need defined, clear boundaries. Make it clear. I actually said to my mom once, she said, well, I, got, I, remember, I don't remember what I got in trouble for. And she said something like, um, well, you know, that was the spirit, of the, the spirit of the thing. I said, I don't do very well with spirits. <laughs> she said, you know what I mean. And I said, clearly I don't. You're going to have to be more precise. <laughs> I was that kid that would be like, okay. But your instructions were open to interpretation. No, they weren't. Yes, they were. Obviously, they were. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done what I did. Because <laughs> I'm not kind of like when when Sirius Black ordered cre- um, um, creature to leave. He meant the kitchen, but he left the house. <laughs> <laughs> You have when uh, you have to be very specific I was that kid. with yeah. Some people get to be very specific. I need specifics. We actually on Facebook there was a, somebody put up a, a riddle. It said you know it, it actually was it was actually titled um, uh, something like puzzles for geniuses or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it the language is so imprecise. It's supposed to be like. The idea of it is um, that you miss an obvious clue and you give the wrong answer because you missed. But the thing is, the language of it is so imprecise, there is no way to figure out. There is no, you could argue against any answer based upon how imprecise the language is. Um, And I was that kid who always was like, I need specifics. Um, if you want me to solve this problem, I need to know exactly this and exactly this and exactly this. And we'll let this look at And people go, why can't you just answer the question? I said, why can't you ask a question that I don't need to ask follow-up questions about? Just give me the specifics. I was like, well, why does Henry do eat ten apples? <laughs> just do oh, I hated word problems. It's like, you know, this, this, that, and the other. I'm like, well... Two trains shouldn't be heading right towards each other. That's really a bad idea. I don't want to solve this problem. <laughs> it's gonna be, going to be a big problem when they meet. It's gonna be a big problem. It's gonna be an yes, accident. When do they meet? <laughs> that train thing. I they fiery crash. Um, I think I did one. I had one of those questions um, to the teacher about trains. When will the trains meet? And I actually wrote on um, the answer, I said something like, they should consider stopping the train before 30 minutes of the last. <laughs> 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 oh, 
And my math teacher actually had a good sense of humor, but I thought she was going to strangle me because I had this thing about word problems where they were asking absurd things and really hating on the problem because of its absurdity. Um, like, you know, the hundreds of apples things, you know, and I'm like, why? And then I would say, you know, if anyone needed this many apples, they would have this many, but really they're taking away food from homeless people or from the poor, and it's really a bad idea. And I would put these little monologues after these answers <laughs> to, absurd, to absurd word problems. Um, <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is really selfish. <laughs> this is really selfish for him to have all those apples. <laughs> The two answers I remember the best was it was about it was a food question, um, and my I answered it, but then I said something like, "But he really needs to not be, de- you know, hogging all that food and depriving the poor or something like that." And then the thing about that they needed to consider stopping the train before this amount of time had elapsed. Those are the two I remember getting. Where my I tended to do it a lot with word problems because I hated them so much. As you know, math, 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 and language. Math and imprecise language and improbable situations put together is a recipe for, I don't know, me needing a Xanax and what that is. I cruised through high school. I, I, I did my best to, to just just move through it and, and get it done because I I it was full of really immature children and I found most of my peers really frustrating they probably were terrible they they were terrible high schoolers in the south they were in in the 80s they they were they were there was like a hundred percent chance they were awful This is absolutely 100% true. They were absolutely awful. It was disgusting. It was, um, just no. No, no, no. Um, I hoped for better in college, but then you know what? I realized that even though I wasn't in college with the assholes that I went to high school with, I was still in college with assholes that other people went to high school with. I remember the first time I got drunk in school, um, in college, um, it was my freshman year. And, um, I, uh, I looked older. I always have looked older than I am. Um, so I didn't even get, I went to the liquor store, walked right in, made a purchase, didn't get carded. I bring that bottle of vodka, gallon of orange juice back to my room and I pour myself a drink. My sweet mate said, are you okay? I said, no. I'm surrounded by fucking assholes. <laughs> I need this. <laughs> I need this so much. She said, well, can Worst I have some? I said, are you going to have, are, are, are you going to buy half the bottle? Yeah. Then you can have some. <laughs> We got wasted. Oh my god. We split a fifth of vodka. 
and a gallon of orange juice. <sighs> Those were the days. Now I couldn't even. Now I could probably not even take a, two shots of vodka without being wasted. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. But I, admit, I eventually found my people in college, you know, other writers, and I, I made connections, and um, some of them I still have today. And that's good, you know. Um, some of them I actively avoid, like the plague, you know. I like the dude I gave my virginity to, you know. <laughs> that kind of thing. Like I'm forgetting you ever happened. Let's just pretend that never took place. I actually don't think I'm still in contact with anybody that I met in college. I don't think I am. I have to. Should I say that somebody's going to write me in the next week? I'll be like, oh, yeah, them. Um, no, I yeah, you. So, I forgot so. about you. You. The part of it was, I mean, I I moved around. I moved around a lot, so um, like I didn't go to college with anybody I knew from when I was younger, um, and I went to three different colleges, and um, you know, so it's just I didn't make connections until I started not moving around quite so much outside of family. But but yeah, it takes it takes a while, I think, especially if um I mean I had it in my head when I was in college that I was pursuing a science degree. Um, I was a biology major and um that really wasn't a good choice for me. So I think it took me longer to find people um that I really connected with on on the writing front, even though I had been telling myself stories and I first started writing it down. I wrote a romance novel when I was like between the ages of 12 and 14. I started it when I was 12. I think I finished it when I was 14. Um, I don't remember when I wasn't telling myself stories, but I really started writing them down when I was around 12 or so. But um, but I didn't really really connect really with other writers until um, until college. Uh, but it was because I was taking I took I added on a couple of writing classes. Uh, which were not in my track at all because it wasn't my major. But I just felt like that, you know, my soul was being sucked out. I needed something else to do. Did it help? It did. I mean, didn't it, it kind of made me question what I was doing about, you know, going for a science degree. I really enjoy, I really like science, I do, but I was struggling so much with the math requirements for a biology major, and I wasn't good at math. Um, that I don't think it was ever a good fit. I think I should have given up on it sooner than I did. Um, but I really enjoyed. But I, I mean, I lived for I lived for my writing classes and sociology classes. I mean, I loved arguing um, points of human behavior and stuff. And um, I, I did a couple of public speaking classes, and I had such a good time with those. Um, but and the, one of the public speaking classes was combined with writing, and so you had to write. Um, write things and and present them. It wasn't just like they present you something and write and, and do it. But anyway, so you had to kind of come up and research your own materials and and um, and present um, 
synopsis and stuff of, of, of your research. So it was, it was really, uh, that, that's when I really started to enjoy that kind of stuff. And I knew I was kind of on the wrong path. I think it took me a lot longer, um, to figure out exactly where I needed to go. I didn't figure it out until after college, but the parts of college that I enjoyed were when I um, deviated from my academic track. So, but I will say that you meet when in college you meet you do tend to meet people from a writing perspective that are very um, often not always but often very rigid in their approach to writing. Um, I, I think a little bit, I think a little bit of it is the, I have to teach you the rules first before you can break them kind of thing. Um, but for some people, I think maybe even a lot of people that can really stifle them. And it's not that you don't need to know the rules, but it's just, it's like, once you know them, you should be like, okay, but, but this doesn't really work. How do I break? How do I break this rule? Um, is figure out how to how to be able to breathe. They need to figure out how to get how to let you breathe earlier in the in the in that training cycle than they do. At least the classes I took. So for me, it was um, I had more problems in classes where I was told what I should be getting out of something I was reading. Ugh. I know, right? Um, we only have 90 seconds left because this conversation just flew by. Um, it what the whole thing boils down to is, um, I guess no matter really no matter what you're doing, um, you need to figure out what you're getting out of it and if it's worth the investment of your time, um, and your energy and all that jazz, just all that. Just just figure out what's going to benefit you as a writer and then go do that thing. That's all I got to say. Jilly, we got 23 seconds. You do you. <laughs> Good night, everybody. With a beta or without. Good night, everyone. <laughs>